In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our blessed Lord drew near to Jerusalem. Seeing the city, he wept over it. What might it mean to say that seeing the city, the Lord wept over it? What motivated those sacred tears? The Lord was not weeping over the city management of Jerusalem. He was not weeping over faulty urban planning or the layout of its streets. At the end of our Lord's long journey toward the holy city Jerusalem, we now come to the final steps of that journey, an entrance procession of sorts into the city of God's covenant. The Lord, the promised Messiah, weeps because he comes to the holy city, the sign of God's covenant, the place of the privileged temple, a temple he will enter to show its transitory nature because he will reveal that he himself is the true temple and that he himself is the lasting sacrifice. He weeps because his arrival at the holy city puts him into direct conflict with the lack of holiness, the infidelity of God's people. We might imagine this like a wordless introit for the sacrifice soon to take place on the cross. The Lord looks over the city that is to shine as a light of God's covenantal love for his people, but that light is dim. In that relationship and interplay of both justice and mercy that only God can comprehend and govern, this gospel gives us the glimpse of the surpassing of the final limit, the final restraint mercy has put upon justice. With the final limit of mercy being passed, that justice of God begins to arise as sacred tears moving outward through the human nature of the Savior who arrives to the entrance procession of his saving sacrifice. This moment of the surpassing of the final limit that mercy put upon justice came after long centuries of God's formation of his people in covenantal promises. It came long centuries after the wandering in the desert and the entrance to the promised land. It came long after God's people repeatedly claimed that they will heed and do all that God commands, and yet they soon forget and again are unfaithful by the choice to sin. This moment came long centuries after the work of countless prophets. All these partial and varied ways by which God had spoken were past, such that in the last days he spoke through his Son. And this moment came some 33 years after the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Infidelity upon infidelity, great and small, hidden and public, all come welling up in this moment. And Jesus wept. Literally, or at least figuratively, do we not weep today? It is the very sacrifice of the Lord for us, the depths of divine love for us sinners, that should cause in us the gift of holy tears. Yet still more in these past days, we weep over the very ritual expression of the one sacrifice of the cross in the Roman rite. We weep over the unjust and merciless steps taken to limit the rite of the Holy Mass we gather for today, the traditional Latin Mass. We weep because the goal is transparent, to see this rite disappear once and for all. We weep over the false claims and manipulations used to indict this Mass due to the reported divisive behavior of perhaps a minority. Some of us weep over the newer ritual form and its ugly history of serial abuses. 
We weep that, at least as it is commonly executed, it so often seems banal and trite. Marked with so many options, it is as if we have no ritual at all. We weep over that newer rite, not because we dare to claim what the church's authority has promulgated is somehow invalid. Rather, we weep because we wonder, have we ever, or will we ever, simply be given the newer rite in a way more consistent with the authentic tradition? I believe we will find a much more gracious and generous allowance in this archdiocese for the traditional Latin Mass, and therefore we take some comfort Yet we weep to know that in the recent actions out of Rome, we are subjected to spiritual abuse, and most shamefully, from the universal pastor himself. I wish I could claim that infidelity among Christ's faithful and among Christ's pastors could not happen, but that would not be true. While we are careful never to say that the church, as the church, is or could be unfaithful, we cannot make such a claim about individuals within the church. This sad reality is like what St. Paul was highlighting in today's epistle reading. He highlights the dangers of overconfidence. St. Paul warns the Corinthians that even those chosen and called by God can be condemned. To establish this lesson, St. Paul uses examples from the Old Testament establishing a parallel between the infidelity of the Israelites in the desert and the Corinthians. After showing parallels, the section we hear today opens up with the message, Let us not covet evil things as they, the Israelites, also coveted. Those who think themselves spiritually superior, as the Corinthians were tempted to do, can fall and fail some of the tests that commonly befall humanity. They could have been victorious if they had not been unfaithful to God because he will provide his grace to have victory. God is faithful and will not suffer you to be tempted above your ability. He will make it also so that you may bear temptation even as he allows it to take place, the epistle told us. Might this be a lesson for us in this moment? God allows a suffering and a temptation to anger and despair. Yet he also gives abundant grace to manifest in us his victory and justice. The trouble is, we are often more enticed by the temptation that comes our way and afflicted by the lack of resolve to identify, seek, and embrace the gifts of strength that God sends us. And for this, we need a purified vision. And so in this present moment, we weep with the Lord and join him in his distress over what man can do to the place and the manner of the worship owed to God. We seek a house of prayer. Some make it a den of thieves. A fight has intensified. We have not sought it out, but we will engage with it and resist it in a holy way. As the letter to the Hebrews states, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. We know this claim from the letter to the Hebrews is about resisting sin. And so we must zealously avoid sin and resist it from having a home within us, even in what has been unjustly thrust upon us. We cannot let the present moment be the excuse to descend into sin and anger and bitterness. We shall not be charged with lack of charity. We will be faithful. We will be strong. 
We will ask direct and difficult questions of leadership to see that our spiritual well-being is taken care of with all the greatest gifts in the church's treasury. We will pray for our Holy Father, for he has a terrible burden of office to carry. We will pray for him because he too is a man and a sinner, as he himself so often says. We will pray for him because I believe he will have much to answer for at judgment. For no matter the character of one's father or what one thinks of him, we, the children, must pray for him. Whatever forces outside of us may be planning for this sad moment, we will see it instead as an opportunity to embrace the cross and to win much grace for the soul of the church and the souls of so many others who remain outside the church. Today's epistle reading reminds us and helps us see through the tears and the sin that blinds us to recall spiritual realities playing out before us. As the reading said, God is faithful and will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will make also with temptation issue that you may be able to bear it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.